Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Explosions and Fire. My name is Brian. My name is Aaron. And we're here for an inaugural podcast talking about who we are, what we do, and what's driving us to make this podcast. Absolutely. So Aaron here, you know, I've been in the gaming world for quite a while now. I think this I'm on my 25th year of doing game mastering, dungeon mastering, playing, and I just love it and it's great. And I'm I'm really excited about how things have kind of changed over time and evolved. And what about you, Brian? I mean, for me, I was like, little Brian was like obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons, but never really played. I was, I was so young. It was probably early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And I got the monster manual and I had all these little minis. But I remember looking at all the charts and graphs and thinking like, I'll never be able to figure that out. So I actually didn't start playing until 2019, 2020, in the middle of the pandemic. But yeah, ever since, I've just been kind of obsessive about it. That's great. And, uh, you know, I think that part of, like, you might be asking yourself, why are you here and listening to us? And what are we trying to come across with? But for us, you know, we, we notice that there's kind of a, a big gap for what you can find on the internet about, you know, how to play the game and, and how to how to go through the motions. But we're, we're not about that. We're about how to go deeper into these games and give context for why things exist the way they exist and understanding them a bit better to give them a little bit more fun and understanding. Yeah, and for me, I, like like you said, the internet is full of YouTube videos, how to play a better druid. And that's not us. That's not what we're going to talk about. But I'm really interested in, and maybe note for a future episode, where did the druid class come from? What's the inspiration for the druid class? Is it from a novel? Is it from a movie? Or, you know, where does all this stuff come from? And really go deeper and ground ourselves in the lore of the game and the background. A lot of it's stemming back to Gary Gygax and the birth of Dungeons and Dragons and all these types of things. But also Tolkien and early sci-fi and fantasy novels and, all, you know, all those types of things. That's, I think, a lot closer to what we really are going to dig into on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And I think that a big part of it, too, that we, we kind of have played with around from the idea of is our name, which is Infernal Schoolhouse Games. And for us, kind of what that in, you know signifies is for most of our, our player base, you know, we start off in school and uh, we, we have our first opportunities around it. But while we're having it happening at the same time, there's a lot of people that are freaking out about it. And they have, you know, essentially back in the late 70s, early 80s, the satanic panic where they thought that if you played these games somehow... Satan would arrive. You'd in your summon house. Satan. Exactly. And somebody would suck your soul out, or we were murdering other people. Or at um, least you'd kill a cat. Exactly. I mean, there, there'd be some sort of blood sacrifice just by playing these games, instead of understanding that a lot of this is just friendship, friendship through hardship about, you know, growing up often as an outcast or as an outlier in school and finding those, those memories together. Yeah, that's why I love the, the name, too, because it's kind of leaning into the sort of joke of the satanic panic. And I just want to be clear here, Aaron nor I have any actual satanic proclivities, but more it's just this idea that it's this ultimate irony, that if you've ever played D&D or a tabletop role-playing game, it's the most wholesome, inclusive, engaging thing that you can do with people. And as you said, a lot of these folks, they're maybe shy Maybe they're on the spectrum. Maybe they don't know how to make friends or don't have a lot of friends. And this is a really cool opportunity for them to come together via the dungeon master or game master and find themselves and help find their voice. And I actually know there's a lot of groups that utilize D&D &D and different things for educational or even therapeutic purposes as well. 
Absolutely. So, yeah, that's why I, I think it's funny and definitely tongue-in-cheek. For sure. I mean, everybody on Earth gets lost in fantasy. Fantasy of some sort of way of kind of breaking up the, the mundane of reality, whether it's you're following sports and you're kind of getting into the, the fun and, and the adrenaline rush that comes with that, but then also the fun that comes from playing games, whether it's video games, tabletop role-playing games, watching movies, you know, losing yourself into other people and characters and finding yourself in other places. And I think that that's a big part of why we keep playing it out of the fun of it, but also the the great, you know, friends you make along the way sort of joke. That's really important for us. And and I, we want to provide a greater understanding for a lot of those folks out there. Yeah. And for me, that really connects with this idea that fantasy is somehow nerdy or taboo for adults. But I mean, you know, you don't have to think very hard to get to a place of like fantasy football and just how involved people get. And I don't think too many people are going to be super judgmental of those folks, right? Like we're not as a society super judgmental of someone if they like football or hockey or something like that. And then if they want to engage their sort of fantastical side and say, ooh, what if I had this quarterback or this running back? There's obvious benefits to that, right? Like they're, they're engaging more deeply and they're starting to create and engage on a different level than they are just by passively consuming it. And so same idea on this side. Instead of it's my fantasy quarterback and my fantasy running back, it's this wizard and this fighter that I'm thinking about and, you know, playing around with. So I think for me, getting back to the beginning and and that little kid who was just obsessed with the game but didn't really have the maybe mental acuity to get into all the charts and graphs when I was that young, I just loved the idea of the escapism of it. And I remember when I was in fifth grade, I had a copy of the Monster Manual that my grandmother, I must have asked this, asked for this from her. She wrote in the the front page for my birthday that year. And I was so excited and I brought it to school and I was mercilessly teased by my peers. And I was so confused because I was like, this is the coolest book I've ever seen. It is full of dragons and monsters. How could that not be cool? We're little boys and girls. Like this is fantasy land that we're in. And so for me, kind of connecting back, Aaron, to what you had said, this idea of fellowship and, you know, understanding and collaborative storytelling, to me, there's there's still a little bit of almost like a wound or something from when I was younger that I can kind of participate in healing therapeutically by introducing new people to the hobby. And so for me, that's probably the core of why I am interested in doing this mm-hmm. is because I want to introduce new people to something that I think is so amazing and so cool, but also has a little bit of a, there's like a gatekeeping mechanism, you know what I mean? Where like the, the, the Uber nerds will try to keep you out <laughs> for sure. And maybe the, the judgment of society and the legacy of the satanic panic kind of worries some people mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird to be in this, this really incredible, robust cultural society right now when it comes to media consumption, where we have so many things that previously would have been thought of as more nerdy or dorky or outcast behavior sort of activity. And there's still kind of a little bit of that stigma still somehow around that. We're, we're really wanting to, I think, break that down a little bit more because, you know, people can go to a Marvel movie and say, wow, this is amazing, having never read a comic book. And then while at the same time, you know, growing up reading those comic books, how difficult of an experience that could be sometimes. And similar story for me, too, when you're talking about bringing the Monster Manual in. I remember I had brought 
this Advanced Dungeons and Dragons book in that was mostly around martial arts theming as a supplement for the game. Cool. And so it had all the different, you know, weapons and styles and everything else. And what was weird about it is I was in sixth grade at the time, and I remember pulling it out of my bag in a computer class and immediately, like, just getting dirty looks over it and how... It was so weird. But if I had gone to the library and checked out a book just on martial arts... That yeah, if it was fine. a ninja book, you would have been a hero. <laughs> right. But because it was somehow attached to Dungeons & Dragons, that was somehow a problem. That's that was always so funny about it, and still funny today about it, about a lot of these preconceptions about what it is and why we do it. And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know what your first playthrough experience was, but I guess I'll give my first yeah, play experience and then maybe my first... Game mastering experience. My first play experience was with Dungeons Dragons 3.5, which is more of the super rules heavy kind of break in between AD and D and then fourth edition. And it was a lot of fun. And I remember sitting in my friend's little, I don't know, this little glass room solarium outside talking about what I wanted to be. And I, my first character I remember I ever played was a paladin. And I didn't realize at the time how difficult it is to play a paladin from a black and white standpoint. But uh, it was a great experience. And I remember all the things we talked about, the things that you could do and what it meant to be proficient in something and then how great it was. You know, like the thing about what you'd have to roll to be a sword master to slice the wings off a fly or something insane, you know. And and I was just hooked. And I, it was a lot of fun. And, and through that, I remember finding out when you have a good game, when you have a bad game, when you have a, a great player, when you have a toxic player... And then kind of changing my own mentality and play through from there. Interesting. So first thought, you're kind of a paladin in real life, I think. <laughs> we can unpack that at a later date. <laughs> fair enough. Fair but enough. you're definitely paladin-like. Second, I think you just mentioned something that I think is really interesting and that I have found, which is running a D&D game, or I would imagine Monster of the Week or any of the, uh, these others that we're talking about, has so many parallels with running a business meeting. Mm -hmm. And so for kids, we've talked about, right? Like it's wholesome. You're learning to work together collaboratively. You can't just murder everything you see. That's not how the game works. You know, you have to work and, you know, kind of build on this, the complementary skill sets. So I think for kids and adolescents, the, the benefits are pretty obvious to me. And hopefully we can make those obvious to you if they're not already. But I think as a fully functional, professional semi-functional professional adult, <laughs> in a, even in a running a business meeting, I have very strongly seen parallels between running a game and running a meeting. So if you think about you're on a Zoom meeting or you're on Zoom or Discord and you're running a, a game, you've got all these faces. You're responsible for all of these folks. First of all, do you see all their faces? Are they all on? Where's Bobby? <laughs> like, can someone text him? And it's like, this is this could be on either context, right? And then, you know, you're looking at Mary and she's like, oh, man, in your mind, you're like, Mary's totally disengaged. I'm not even sure she's into this right now. OK, well, same on both sides. It's my problem. I have to figure that out. And so I think the the benefits to be derived from playing D&D or role playing games in general for anyone on the, any, any age, I think are really, really profound. And just another one that pops into my head. I was in a corporate training and we were doing role playing. And everyone was groaning and moaning. <laughs> and we started doing the role playing. And I just became Phil from accounting. And I was doing the thing. And the, I remember my partner was kind of startled and shocked. And they were like, are you, are you an actor? <laughs> and I thought, at first I was like, no, I'm, I'm Brian. I'm, you know, I'm a sales manager. And then I was like, oh, it's D&D. &D. Because right, someone right. just tells you. Okay, do this thing, especially as a, D as a dungeon master, right? 
It's like, okay, you walk into a pub and then there's a lady behind the bar and then you just start talking as her and thinking as her <laughs> and you're winging it. So yeah, I think the, the, the benefits for anyone at any point for this are, are pretty startling as well. And again, part of my hope is that we can get more over the hurdle of the taboo almost. Right. Or the, the judgment around playing these games and engaging in this hobby. Absolutely. So, Brian, besides being a master accountant, what was your first role-playing experience in any of the games? It was actually in 2020. I was obsessed with all the different books, and I have this stack of books here. Monster Manual, Monster Manual 2, Player's Handbook, Legends and Lore, all these things. But I just would look through them and obsess about the art and wonder about the stats. I never knew how they worked, and I never really understood how the game actually worked. And I've heard this from a lot of new players, or, or even people who are interested. They're like, but what is it actually like? How do you move <laughs> the little pieces around the board? So for me, it was a virtual game, and I was totally in over my head. I had no idea what was happening, but I was in heaven. Because I remember there was these goblins. The, the, the dungeon master had explained this scene where there was goblins running around this field, and they were harassing this lady. And so it seemed like the goal was to kill the goblins, but I didn't really understand maybe the combat intensiveness of a lot of D&D encounters. Absolutely. So I felt bad for them. And so I was like scooping them up and talking with them. <laughs> <laughs> and all my fellow players were really annoyed with me. And so was the DM, I think. But I was just kept trying to talk to them and reason with them. And they and the DM would have them like spit in my face or like cut me with their fingernails or stab me with the dagger. And I kept trying for a while. Then I started killing them. And I was like, okay, this is fun. Because there's no such thing as goblins, right? So it's like less psychologically damaging or whatever. But then I started slaying goblins and then I was like, okay, this is cool. That's awesome. a lot of fun. Yeah. What about you? Well, mine was the my paladin experience, but I would say I would kind of go back towards more of my first game mastering experience only okay. because I've been kind of the forever DM for a long yeah, time. Yeah. And like, what's that switch like mentality wise from player to dungeon master? You know, I would say that the, the mentality was always there mm. whenever I first started because a lot of people, when they read these books, they usually skim them. They get the cliff's notes of whatever it is, how to do it. Like we're going to a castle later. Exactly. We'll probably fight something on the way. And I would read these books cover to cover. And, I, and, and then I, it would get into rote memorization. I would be really interested in it. And I remember the first game that I ever ran was a game of Vampire the Masquerade from World of Darkness. And I honestly, probably until 2020, had never even used a miniature. Almost all my games are in Theater of the Mind. Mm both D&D &D and with Vampire, and then all of the other offshoots in World of Darkness, whether it's Werewolf or Mage or all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. But for me, what I really enjoyed about those was they were super role-play heavy. They still are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you'd have your sheets, you'd fill them out, they were great. But what really mattered was these interactions between players and these conversations and these fun times you'd have. And I, one of my most favorite memories of playing is I remember, I, I think it was must have been a senior in high school, maybe a freshman in college, and... I hosted this giant World of Darkness vampire party and I actually broke it up. It was this very ambitious idea of breaking up a good 10 or 12 person game into two separate tables and I would go between the tables and I and I had one person helping as kind of a, a side game master and then had them come together at the very end for like this super climactic battle and confrontation scene. And I just got hooked. And so I love I love doing the dungeon mastering and the game mastering and it's hard to give it up. Wow. 
Brian, I, I know that to you also, I never played in it, but I know that you also did some dungeon mastering. So tell me, what was that like for you? Yeah, so I think maybe I was the same as you. Maybe this is the same for a lot of players, but I think you just sort of know. Like, oh, I want to build a world or I want to create a world. And so for me, the part that I realized was the a couple of the DMs that I had worked with before, not you, <laughs> were particularly uninspired when they would explain things, mm-hmm. particularly during combat. And I think we could probably talk for at least an episode about the problems with combat. And I don't even mean structural problems. I mean just pacing and general problems. But I would find that it would be like, okay, I'm going to hit with my sword. Okay, cool. Roll for damage. Okay, okay. Next. You know what I mean? And I just remember thinking like, what did it sound like? What did the... I love the recap. Like, okay, Barbarian, <laughs> you just saw your friend the wizard take an arrow in the eye socket. <laughs> what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, And so I have, a, uh, have always had a sort of a knack for storytelling and exaggeration, which works great in D&D because it's all made up. Absolutely. So I remember as a player early on just being like, oh, man, I, I think I could do better. And it's hard. Like, obviously, it's humbling to be a DM. But that... So I sort of knew that was going to happen. So then I was going, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I was sitting in my kitchen in the middle of COVID and my girlfriend at the time was making a meal and I told a joke and she looked at me and kind of laughed and I started laughing and then I started cackling and then I started crying (laughs) and she looked at me and she's like, I'm afraid right now. And I was like, I like through my tears and my laughter, like, I don't know what's happening. And I remember I walked outside and I took a deep breath and I was like, you need to, you need a hobby, buddy. <laughs> you need something to fill your days with. Absolutely. And so, I, and it just kind of in a flash, I was like, wait, I could run D&D games. And it was, it was really the surge of playing online. I remember I just heard about Roll20, mm-hmm. the, the virtual tabletop. And, you know, so I was like, wait, I, I could totally do this. So I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to convince anyone. And I was actually able to convince 10 people, including my girlfriend, to play in two different, well, one campaign broken into two. So one campaign nice. run parallel. And it was Lost Mine of Fandelver, which I still love. And I run on a regular basis in sort of a one-shot format. And I loved it. And yeah, so that's what got me into DMing. But I think... I don't consider myself the always DM, forever DM that For I think sure. a lot yeah. of people get stuck into because I do love to play. Yeah. And it's also pretty intimidating and overwhelming. I think really easy to become overwhelmed as a, yeah. as a dungeon master. Yeah. I, I would say also, though, I, I do love playing, but I, I don't relish or you know get upset about my position as a forever DM. I mean, I, I do enjoy the occasional play, but also I feel bad about when I play coming in knowing a little bit more needing to kind of hamstring a little bit so it's, it's just one of those things where kind of understanding who you are and what you can do what does that so, mean knowing a little bit more so you, you understand more about the game you have to first of all separate yourself from any sort of metagaming but then also not taking the lead in conversations mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are very nervous about role playing they're very nervous about kind of putting themselves out there and being exposed in front of people even though it's a, a safe environment mm-hmm. and as a, as a DM you don't have that any sort of 
you know hesitation around doing that because you do that literally all of the time. Yeah, and you're you're more prone to kind of back to my meeting analogy, right? Of like you're like, oh, okay, Mary's not engaged, so the next NPC is likely to strike up a conversation with Mary specifically. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But I think as a player, you can and you probably do lean into that by honoring the folks at your table, right? Absolutely. So if you see Mary next to you as a fellow player, you're probably really likely to engage her in some sort of role play or even in combat, right? Like I throw the flaming grenade to Mary or something like that. Absolutely. And I'm I'm a big person where I really watch out for that spotlighting, especially Mm -hmm. as a game master where you're like, okay, is this person kind of grandstanding too much? Do I need to bring somebody else Mm -hmm. in? I'll try and find those breaks. But then... I have sometimes DMs kind of getting frustrated because I will kind of lead another player into a conversation or an action because I want them to be involved. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel like they're a part of it instead of kind of floundering sometimes. Yeah, and that goes back to the the wholesomeness of it, right? right? Which is, again, why the whole Infernal Schoolhouse is such a tongue-in-cheek thing because it's so sweet. Absolutely. And loving mm-hmm. and tender, you know, kind of fragile little like people honoring other people and making sure that they're having fun and caring about them and about the furthest away from summoning the devil that you can possibly imagine. Absolutely. Do you remember the first event we met at? Was this the One Shot Weekend? It was. It was the inaugural one. The yes. first one. That's yes. true. That's true. But no, I see to your point, that's how we met and that's how we, it was actually the drive back from mm-hmm. Where we had probably a two plus hour conversation, at the end of which we were like, we should do a podcast. Right. And two years later, here we are. Exactly. An inaugural podcast. Absolutely. Well, this feels like a good place to end. It, it is a great place to end. And we thank you for listening. And we hope that we can have you on a, on a future listening extravaganza. And there's more to come. Thank you. See you soon.